What a great story. Uh, we read the entire passage um, just now, but we're only going to really focus on three of the verses, uh, 15, 16, and 17. But I wanted you to hear the whole story so we can set it in its context and then try to draw out the, the lesson I, I hope the Lord is giving us tonight. Before we do that, let me say a prayer. Father God, thank you for this opportunity, opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for this evening and that so many people have come and are interested in hearing your word and, and worshiping you. We give you thanks uh, that each of them made that decision to come tonight. Uh, would you bless this moment, bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, tonight, we're, we're closing our series, Fruitfulness on the Frontline. Can you go back some verse? I must have hit this. Can you just go back to slide one? We're, we're closing this series, and if you're not familiar with what a frontline is, I want to define a frontline. Most of you should know it, but there's a, a few visitors here tonight, and this is just a good reminder for all of us. Uh, your frontline is the place where you spend the majority of your time uh, outside the church, uh, where you are in contact with non-Christians. So we all have a front line, whether that's our office or if we have a hobby where we spend time with people that don't believe in Jesus. And we've been learning in this series that God calls Christians, he calls every believer uh, to see their front lines in a new way. To see their front lines as places that God has placed them intentionally, where he's placed us intentionally. It's not a mistake where you are. He wants you there so that you can be an agent of his, an agent of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, so that you can serve him in that place. And we've been seeing through this series that God uses our normal, everyday lives uh, to, to, to share the message of Christ in a variety of different ways. Uh, you can... We're having a few difficulties. Can you go to slide three? Uh, the, 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 the six different ways that we went through this uh, started with, number one, model godly character. We could be modeling the character of God. That's another way of saying the prayer I actually uh, prayed for the kids, that they would grow up into the image of Christ. We want to be formed to, to look, be formed to look more like Jesus through the course of our lives. Another way that we can be ministering on our front line is by doing a good job, by making good work. That's really what our, our scripture passage, that our foundation verse that we were memorizing is all about. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Uh, ministering grace and love. We looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, and God calls us to minister grace and compassion and kindness to those that would least expect it from us. How about molding culture? How can we be uh, speaking out to our local communities but then the, the culture at large? That's a, a just culture. It's a, a culture that honors God. And we do all these things so that we can do M number six, be a messenger of the gospel, because ultimately that's what we want to share. Those other things are good, but we, we pray that God will give us an opportunity to share the good news about Jesus Christ. So as you can see, there's a lot of different ways uh, to share uh, the message of Jesus Christ on our front lines. Now, this isn't an easy task that God has called us to. The mission seems a little impossible. 
God has called us to our front lines, and it's much easier to keep my Saturday or my, my if you go to a Sunday service ever, it's much easier to, to keep kind of my worship time separate from my everyday life, isn't it? To put my faith, my belief in a box and keep everything else, you know, my work, my job, my, my, my normal hours in its own sphere. But God wants to be Lord over every aspect of our lives, doesn't he? And one of the ways he does that is he calls us to serve him in our every day. And in these moments, when it's hard to believe, when it's sometimes scary to step out in faith on your front line, we need faith. We need a fresh vision of what God can do, how God can move in our everyday lives. Now we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 6. We read verses 8 through 23. And in this story, a servant of God needs a fresh vision of what God can do, of God's power, because the mission seems impossible to the servant. The mission in their context is to trust God in the face of uh, impossible odds. And that's the same thing that God is calling us to as well. To kind of uh, review the story, uh, the king of Aram, so they would have spoken perhaps Aramaic. They were Syrians. They have come to make war against northern Israel. Some, some of you that are Bible trivia buffs, you might remember that the nation of Israel, it was united when they first entered the promised land. Shortly after that, uh, there was a split, and it became northern Israel and southern Judah. And uh, a king, a foreign king, is making war against the northern region. But God wants to protect the northern region, Israel. And so he gives them a prophet, Elisha, and he's given them other ones before him, Elijah. And this prophet, Elisha, he keeps warning this, uh, the, the king of Israel, the, the, the king on, on uh, the side of the, the, Israel, uh, the, the Hebrews, he keeps warning him, well, what the enemy king is going to be doing. And as you can imagine, the enemy king gets rather frustrated. And so he sends his army. He sends horses, chariots, and a strong force to capture Elisha in the city of Dothan. Now they come by night. They surround the city. They, they set up their camp. And when the servant of Elisha wakes up in the morning, he sees them. Now talk about getting up on the wrong side of the bed. He got up in the wrong city. And he's overcome with fear. This is what verse 15 is about. It says, when he saw them, when the servant of the man of God got up and he went out, he said, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? He's terrified. He's frightened. He's overcome with fear because they face defeat. They face perhaps death. This foreign king has sent them to capture Elisha, but they very well might level the city. See, the mission seems impossible. God wants them to trust him in this moment. God asks Israel to trust him, and he's asking us to do the same thing, isn't he? He's asking us to trust him on our front lines. Israel's mission was to obey God. Our mission is not much different. 
Now, the king, it doesn't say the, who the exact king in is, but it was probably, uh, very likely, a man named Ben-Hadad II. Ben-Hadad II. And he's named after uh, some weather gods, son of like a weather and a fertility god of their ancient culture. So already, this man is not someone who wants to honor God, who wants to love God or serve God. And it's, at one time, it was said that he had around 20,000 foot soldiers, 1,200 chariots, and 1,200 cavalry. And I don't know if he sent a force that large or larger or smaller, but he had a lot of soldiers. This was a powerful man. He's attacked Samaria. Samaria is kind of the, the capital of, of northern Israel. It's kind of their central hub. And now he's threatening them. The idea that they could survive seems impossible. God gave them an impossible mission. Now, our mission as a church, we have a vision statement. We have our mission statement. Our mission is to make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. That's a fancy way of saying we want to see people come to know the Lord. We want to help them grow in their knowledge of God. And then we want to challenge them to go out to live their faith. And tonight is really a reminder of that third portion, the multiply portion that we each need to take that responsibility on as our own. We can't just point the finger at the pastor or someone who's really good at it. In one sense, God gives us all that responsibility, that impossible mission. God calls us to obey. Now, how does Elisha respond to his servants' fears? Because you might be feeling afraid as well. Elisha says, fear not, God's army is with us. Verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I like it, he gets right to the point. You don't have to be afraid, our army is bigger than their army. My pastor, one of my pastors growing up, uh, shared an acronym with me for fear that has always stuck with me. It's uh, something that I, I like to remember. Fear not. False expectations appearing real. So they have false expectations that they're defeated, that, that all they can see in front of them is what's real. But Elisha has a has a better truth. He knows that there's something even more real than what they can see with their own eyes. Don't be afraid. Our God is greater. Our God's army is much bigger than their army. And you know what? God's army is with us. In the Old Testament, uh, all throughout the Old Testament, there are references to the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. And several of these times it refers to God as the Lord of hosts. First Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 says, So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. That picture of being enthroned on the cherubim is, is a picture that God is ruling over his army. Over his angels. And the word hosts is the Hebrew word sabaoth, and it means armies. God is Lord of armies. Sometimes we like to think of, you know, 
uh, Jesus is our boyfriend. Like the, God is this kind of this comfy God. Well, no, he's actually a warrior. <laughs> he's a warrior king that rules over everything. And these aren't just human armies. These are angel armies. These are heaven's armies. How powerful is that image? See, this army is much greater than 20,000 foot soldiers, 1,200 chariots, or 1,200 cavalry. In Isaiah chapter 37, verse 6, it says this. It says, Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. Now, the angel of the Lord is often a reference to God throughout the Old Testament. This is a reminder that, that even one angel, even God's presence being sent out can destroy 185,000 humans very easily. 20,000 people is pretty small. <laughs> See, God's army is bigger. God's army is more powerful. And when God sends out his people, he sends his protection and his power with them. See, fear not. God's army is with us. Now, we can't assume when we go out into our front lines that we're surrounded by a great multitude of angels. I can't see angels. <laughs> I don't know if that's not the case. But I think the scripture is clear that if, if God is with us, who can stand against us? And he does send his protection to watch over us. He empowers us, he protects us, and he sends us out. And as you go to your front line on Monday, maybe you're uh, golfing or playing some sort of sport tom tomorrow, on, when you're there on your front line, God's presence is with you. He's protecting you. Do you believe that he can work through you? The servant of Elisha struggles with doubt. He struggles with fear. Elisha could have left him like this, but he wanted to open his eyes. See, what we need then is to believe that God can work through us, which leads me to Elisha's next response. He prays. He prays a prayer that you and I can pray, especially for our front lines as we, as we walk about our neighborhoods, as we invite non-Christians over to have dinner with us. God, open our eyes to see what you can do. Open our eyes to your army, to your power. Because with my human eyes, I don't believe. I have a hard heart. I can't see what you can do unless you open my eyes to see. This is Elisha's response to his servant. Verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha doesn't count the soldiers in Dothan. He doesn't calculate how long it will take a messenger to get from Dothan 10 miles away to Samaria to call for rescue and how long he might get there. 
He doesn't measure the thickness or the height of the walls. He doesn't call on the king of Israel who really wasn't a good guy. He doesn't run away. Instead, he prays. He prays. Because he realizes the mission is impossible. It's impossible without God doing something. Without God saving Elisha, saving the city of Dothan, saving the servant of Elisha. If you're afraid, try prayer. (laughs) It's easier to think of kind of catchy or creative ways that we can reach out, and that's certainly something we can use. But ultimately, God acts when we call him to ask, to, to act. God answers our prayer. He responds to our prayers. Pray for God to take away your fear. God, would you take away my fear and would you give me courage? That was a good prayer request that Terry had earlier. Give me courage, God. Make my heart brave because in my own power, I will never be able to obey you. I will always believe the mission is impossible unless your Holy Spirit helps me along, unless your Holy Spirit leads me. I believe that as a church, we need to be praying for each other's front lines. And this is why I wanted to mention several prayer tools that we can use together as a church to be encouraging each other. Our first prayer tool you already witnessed tonight, frontline stories. Where I invite someone up and they share about their front line and I ask, what, what do you think God is doing? And then we pray for them. And I certainly get to pray up here, but I hope that you'll write a little note Say, you know, Terry, Harvard, Julia, and that you'll go home and throughout the week you'll you'll lift up Terry on his front line. We've had Rebecca and Monica and Amanda and Joe go as well. And I hope that you'll continue to pray for them on their front lines. We want this to be a part of our culture as a church going forward. We're not just going to do these during the frontline sermon series. We're going to continue to do them going forward. So if you still want to share about your frontline, praise God, because we're going to be doing that. Come talk to me after the service or any service or email me. Another way we can be praying for each other's frontlines is the prayer network. Now, you can get signed up for this by talking with Karen Tang after the service if you're, already, if you're not a part of the prayer network uh, yet. This is a place where we can send out prayer requests for ministries, for uh, those who are sick or going through a health crisis, but we can also be praying for each other's front lines. If you sense you need some prayer, you sense there's something happening on your front line, send out a prayer request so that you know that your church is lifting you up in prayer. You don't know what God can do. He can do great things. There's also intercessory prayer. We, pray, we have a, a kind of an intercessory prayer during the service. Andy leads it. Anthony has often led it. And as, our, as a church, our worship leaders can pray for our front lines, and I know they have, so that we can be reminded week after week not only to pray for the sick or pray for missionaries when we get missionaries, but be praying for our everyday missionaries, all of you. How about your top ten most wanted? 
I haven't done this one since I think August, but I encourage everyone to have a list of 10 people that God has placed on your heart that you would like to see them come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, whether that's a neighbor, a barista at Starbucks, a coworker, someone you might not even know their name, 10 people that you can be praying for on a weekly basis. Choose a night of the week and lift them up in prayer. See, through prayer, God can open our eyes to what he is already doing all around us. When Elisha prayed, it wasn't that they could see the army in the distance and the army came. No, he opened his eyes and the army was already there. God's presence and God's power was already there surrounding the city. God's presence is with you on your front line Pray that God would open your eyes. Now, you're probably not going to see angels. If you do, come talk to me. I'd be very interested to hear that. But you might notice what God is working in the life of my coworker. For some reason, they seem more soft to the message of Jesus, or they just seem more open about what they're going through, prayer requests they have, or they're telling you about their, their mom or their dad is going through a health crisis. How might you be praying for them in that moment? I am certainly not an expert at this, not at all. But I wanted to share a story of when uh, my, my pre-pastor days, when I worked in uh, McLean, Virginia, as a, a, a bank examiner, a, uh, an associate bank examiner at the Farm Credit Administration, a government agency. And I was actually trying fasting for the first time. So fasting is an interesting thing, but you pair fasting with prayer. So when you're kind of when your your stomach gets all hungry, you remember, oh, I should I should I should take this moment and remember I'm dependent on God and, and say a prayer. And as I was doing this fast for the first time, I, I was thinking, you know, God, I do want you to use me. And I didn't have the frontline lingo at that time, but with my coworkers, kind of where I work. And I remember one of my coworkers' moms was sick at the time. And I was walking down the stairs. I think she must have been walking up. And I, I just felt like I needed to ask her. So perhaps you can call this a prompting by the Holy Spirit. I was prompted to ask her, hey, how's your mom? Her face melted and she started to cry on the stairs. She said, not well, she could go any day. I thought, well, maybe I should pray for her. And so I asked her, well, what's her name? And this was her response. My coworker said, she said her name, she said her mom's name, and then she said, thank you for praying for her. <laughs> I had not said I'm going to pray for her. <laughs> then she added, I'm spiritual and I can tell you're spiritual too. You asked for my mother's name, so I knew you would pray for her. That's kind of a cool thing. Prayer opens us up to these opportunities. And I tried to follow up with her. I, I didn't really have all the tools, all the courage, but I tried to be a blessing in that moment for as long as I was at the Farm Credit Administration. Prayer opens our eyes to be more sensitive to what God is doing because it's easy to get stuck looking at this plane, right? That's why we need to look up. And God can give us a glimpse of what he's already doing in this plane all around us. Now, God answers Elisha's prayer. He opens uh, Elisha's servant's eyes. Verse 17 says, He opened the servant's eyes and he looked. 
and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The ESV has a better translation. It says, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. So the image we're, we're, we're meant to get is we're meant to remember back to verse 15. And it said that the enemy soldiers were camped out around the city. So they're on the ground. They're there. They seem like a an intimidating force. And when his eyes are opened, he's, he, he sees this great mountain all around Elijah, all around the city. It's like a, like a mountain of fire. See, his eyes are open to God's presence, and it's greater and more powerful than anything he had ever imagined. Don't you want to see that on your front line? Don't you want to get a vision of what God can do all around you? Because he can do something amazing, something far greater than you ever ask. Ben-Hadad's army on the ground dims in comparison to this heavenly host army, these heaven's armies, this great host, thousands upon thousands of angels surrounding Elisha. And notice how Elisha, verse 18, how he goes on to defeat the enemy. He blinds their eyes. Now, the scriptures seem to hint that this was kind of a a confusion. Perhaps they could see a little bit because they still walked 10 miles. They were confused. Their eyes weren't opened. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be the servant of Elijah that has his eyes opened and sees this terrifying sight, but a sight that gives hope? Would you rather have your eyes shut and be blinded and not be interested in, in seeing what God is doing all around you. Notice that Elisha does open those people's eyes as well. <laughs> they get into an awkward situation where they could easily die. My prayer for you is that you would want your eyes to be opened, that you would want to see what God is doing. That could begin with a very simple prayer. If, if you don't even feel the desire to, to minister on your front line, just pray, God, would you soften my heart? Would you soften my heart so that, I, so that I want to see what you're doing? God, open my eyes to see what you can do. See, this leads me to a more specific prayer. Jesus, give me resurrection eyes. This is my big idea. You can write it on your sheet of paper. Jesus, give me resurrection eyes. Give us resurrection eyes. See, the servant of the Lord was in a situation where he was surrounded by death. Perhaps 20,000 soldiers that were willing, if necessary, to kill him, to kill Elisha, to kill that city. If things didn't go well, he was going to die. We also face death every single day. On our front lines, we face spiritual death Monday through Friday. See, without Jesus, everyone around us is dead. They are dead in their sins. They are dead in their transgressions. They are lost without Jesus. And it's hard to believe that they could experience a spiritual resurrection, isn't it? It's hard to believe that God could save the librarian. It's, it's hard to believe that God could save my coworker in the next cubicle. And there's a reason for that, because they're spiritually dead. 
But we believe in a God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, born in a manger to defeat death, to to bring resurrection life, to bring spiritual renewal, to bring hope. Next week, we're starting a new series. I hope you'll come back. It's a three-week series called Baby Jesus Foretold. We're going to be looking at at, uh, Old Testament and New Testament texts that kind of point to him. Jesus was born to raise the spiritually dead. Give you a taste of that series. Just like Elisha, Jesus was born with a whole heavenly host. Jesus is the baby that brought an army. In Luke 2, an angel appears to shepherds. He's outside of Bethlehem, and he tells them that a Savior is born. And then the angel disappears, and what happens? The whole sky is lit up in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The heavenly host came with baby Jesus. God's army came with him. That's the, that's the kind of kingdom that Jesus brought. And when Jesus died and rose again, he defeated death. He defeated hell. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you haven't put your faith in, in, in him. Well, then you're still one of those walking dead. You are spiritually dead. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus invites you. He invites you to experience resurrection life, spiritual renewal, eternal life. Jesus can resurrect you. And if you're someone who's already been resurrected spiritually, one day physically when Christ returns, have hope for your neighbor. Have hope for your friend. Have hope for your family member. Because Jesus can resurrect them too. This is why Elisha gave his servant sight so that he could believe that the mission is possible. It's possible through Jesus. And we need to pray that same prayer. Jesus, give us resurrection eyes. Now, I want to close this series. I hope that you've been challenged. I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope that you do go home and pray. I'm certainly going to. But I want to I close this series by giving you some pictures of our frontline missionaries, of, of, of imperfect people who are trying to live out the mission of God on their front lines. And God is using them. God is working through them. Jenny was the first one to show me, uh, to send me her pictures, Jenny Pelletier. She gives chair massages. She is one of our frontline missionaries. She gives chair massages as, as, if, as if unto the Lord, <laughs> bringing healing, physical healing to people, and Lord willing, maybe spiritual healing too. Anthony Cordemage. He is a senior engineer. You can't really tell from these pictures. <laughs> He's a senior engineer at a company near Hanscom that serves the military. 
He does some really cool things. You should get coffee with him or lunch and talk about them. But he is serving the Lord, caring for our military, caring for people all around him. Let's stay in the family. Amanda and Gannis. She is the happy owner of a fiber company. Uh, the squid, classy squid fiber company. And you can see pictures of her on her front line with people. She's shared stories with me. I, I know God's moving on her front line. She has 3,587 plus Instagram followers. That's a lot of opportunity. You have a really big front line. God bless you. John Rawls. He is an optical network design engineer for Nokia here in Westford. I like the hard hat, John. That's pretty cool. Telecommunications. How can God use that for his kingdom? God can, and he is. I like this next person. It's my wife, Monica Romig. She teaches Bible at Bradford Christian Academy. She teaches theater. She teaches cheer. She does way more evangelism than I ever do because most of these kids don't know Jesus. I think all of them don't know Jesus, and she's teaching them the Bible for a year. She has them, and she can give them a bad grade if they don't listen. <laughs> she's a frontline missionary. I wanted to share a picture of my frontline. <laughs> Have you heard I do CrossFit? <laughs> I try to share the love of Christ on my front line at, at, at my CrossFit gym. That's the Halloween shot. And then my neighborhood. We, uh, we try to have our neighbors over and, and share about, well, to bless them. We haven't had many conversations about Christ yet, but we've had some interesting conversations. Praying for them. Trisha Coglin, this is uh, her in action, watch, walking her dog, Cisco, in their neighborhood. And I know... Trisha tries to, to be intentional about stopping and talking with her, co her, her neighbors. That's her front line. You don't have to be in a cubicle to have a front line. Praise God. Let's keep it in the family. Chris Coglin. he works with an analog company in Wilmington. He solves really incredibly difficult problems. This is him on his front line. We can be encouraging him and praying for him. Aaron Tang, he manages software testers in Shanghai. He works with developers all around the globe. And I know that Aaron has brought at least one of his coworkers, I think, from Shanghai. Good job, Aaron. He also gets bonus points for having a copy of Fruitfulness on the front line on his desk. But even more important than that, he has a picture of his wife and their, their wedding. That's his front line. Terry, you heard from Terry tonight, but this is a picture of him in his cubicle, apparently looking very neat. It doesn't usually look that neat. <laughs> he's working on his doctorate at Harvard. That's pretty cool. And he's working to, to bring the message of Christ there. Rebecca Lawrence, she mentors youth. She teaches youth that have a hard time learning. She has patience. She shows them God's kindness at Youth Build in Lawrence. Praise God. I want to show you one more picture of our frontline missionaries. It's all of you. 
And if you're not in this picture because you weren't here last week, make sure you're here next week. (laughs) See, all of us, we're frontline missionaries. God calls us to be agents of his kingdom, to be his servants, doesn't he? I pray that God will give you resurrection eyes. Jesus, give us resurrection eyes so we can see what you're doing. Help us believe. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this series. I know it's been an encouragement to me. I pray it's an encouragement to your people here at Cornerstone. Would you give us resurrection eyes? Help us see that you can bring life out of death. That's, what, that's your thing. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.